church. My name is Tori Carr. I serve here at Canaan in the worship team. And our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 5, 21 through 26. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. You have heard that if it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to no judgment. To judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you to be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you uh, for your word. Uh, would it be a true north for us this morning? Would it be enlightening to us this morning? Would it give us wisdom uh, about you, about ourselves, about how you want us to live within the world and with you? Uh, would you give us grace this morning uh, to see some things in ourselves that maybe we don't often like to see? Uh, would you give us grace this morning to hear from you both the true news that is sometimes hard to hear and the true news that is good to hear, uh, that you've come again? that you have come and you've come to deal with even the anger inside of us. And so, Jesus, give us clarity this morning. Give us um, open ears this morning. Help us be quick to hear and slow to speak. And if you would, take a moment and pray for yourself and ask the Lord to speak to you today. And if you'd be kind, uh, pray for me that I would speak clearly and be helpful to you. Well, Father, we love you and we trust you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in one of the great scenes of the Marvel movies, uh, Captain America looks at Bruce Banner and says, Hulk, get angry. And, you know, they're about to go in this big battle, and they want a Hulk because, you know, they've got a Hulk. And if they've got a Hulk, no one can touch them. And Bruce looks at Cap and goes, Cap, I'm always angry. And then he turns into this massive green giant that no one wants to touch or mess with and can rip things apart with a matter of seconds. And it's enlightening. Uh, You thought for a moment throughout the series he's learned to control his anger, and that was the problem, that when Bruce Banner got angry, he turns into the big green Hulk, and no one wants to be around him because he goes, smash. And I think some of us have those experiences. We might have got, potentially, some of us may have gotten angry at some point and looked more like the Hulk than ourselves if that was a hypothetical possibility. I, like, admit, like, that was a lot of my, like, growing up years. Like, I would be this sweet little child at school and get home, and I was just done. Like, stress level was through the roof. Patience level was was hitting tip-top. I was at a slow, high simmer, and all it took was, like, one thing for my brother. And sweet little Justin, who is the nicest kid in class and listens so well and does everything we ask him to do, turns green. 
and no one wants to be around him. And yes, it has gotten less and less as the years have gone on and sanctification has occurred and I've learned like how to cope with stress better than like a third grader. But we all have moments where the green man comes out. And I think what's so enlightening in that quote is he admits that he's always angry. And I think for some of us, there's this slow simmer just underneath the surface. There's this anger that's just pushing its way up and it's just ready to go out. And all it takes is the right set of circumstances or the wrong comment and we go green. There's this anger that pervades our lives, that pervades our conversations, that pervades the way we work in the world. And uh, the good news is, well, I don't know if it's good news. Part of the news is you're not alone. Uh, There was one study done uh, that looked at Americans, and according to a poll taken just before the pandemic, 84% of people think Americans are angrier today than the generation before them, and 42% of them admitted that they themselves are angrier. Another study found that young adults aged 18 to 29 are quite, quote, the spicy bunch with a 22% higher chance of intense anger issues compared to our more seasoned citizens, it's words, not mine, who at 65 and up probably figure it's just too much effort to get worked up over the little things in life. So for some of you, you've learned the wisdom of it's just not worth the fight. For some of us, there's this desire to kind of have the fight, if we're being honest, like we kind of like the fight. For some of us, we're just waiting for the fight. And as soon as we get the chance, we're going forward at it. That there's this problem that we have as Americans in 2023 with anger. I've seen studies that have talked about how social media uh, has algorithms that uses anger and fear to show you what's going to be in your feed to make you more angry and fearful to keep you there because that's such a strong emotion that is going to make you keep scrolling and interact with it because now you're upset and angry versus just like, oh, cute kitty, and then you move on. I don't know why you moved on from a cute kitty. It should have been a cute puppy. But regardless, if you're a cat person, Jesus loves you too. But something about anger just keeps our attention and we like to feed it. We all have some degree or another a problem with anger. And we're not alone. 84% of people uh, think that we have a problem with anger, and uh, the people that Jesus was talking to 2,000 years ago had a problem with anger. So what is anger? Well, according to the American Psychological Association, anger is an emotion characterized by antagonism towards someone or something you feel has deliberately done you wrong. There's this emotion. There's this uh, me against you because you purposely did something against me. Maybe you said something. Maybe you did something. Maybe you didn't say something or purposely didn't do something, and I know you did it just because you don't like me. According to Cambridge, anger is a strong feeling that makes you want to hurt someone or be unpleasant because of something unfair or unkind that has happened. Maybe you're not the Hulk and you don't want to just like go take the war to them and like slash their tires like Carrie Underwood. But part of you doesn't want to see them succeed and you're going to make sure that everyone knows how awful of a human they are. One counselor named Ed Welch talks about hot anger and cold anger. That there's hot anger. And that's the Hulk inside of all of us. Like it blows up, it gets big, it gets loud, it smashes things, it punches things. Like everyone moves away from you when they see that side of you come out. But then there's cold anger. 
And he talks about cold anger as this boy, like this simmering under the surface, just like you don't get outwardly angry, but inside everything that we see in the Hulk just begins to rage inside of you. And you're like, "Uh uh-huh, 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 I hope you die. And you begin to plot their demise. And you begin to think all of the terrible things about them, and you say all the horrible things about them, and you can have a smile with a coworker as you're both in the break room, and be like, "Oh yeah, Sally, you should have seen what she she is." God bless her soul, because if you say God bless her soul, like everything is covered at that point, and then you just begin to let Sally have it with a smile on your face, and you never get really outwardly angry, but there's this rage inside of you that just tears you apart and wants to bring other downs with you. There's hot anger. And there's cold anger. And uh, I think most of us have one or the other. And if you're here this morning and you still think that you don't have a problem with anger, uh, and you're not Mother Teresa, and you're not Gandhi, I think you're still kidding yourself. Maybe you're not the Hulk, but I think there might be something simmering under the surface. I think we have a problem, and I think it's called anger. And so what does the Bible say about it? Well, in the Bible, there's, there's two types of anger, and we're really only going to talk about one, but I wanted to do justice to the scriptures. There's what the Bible calls righteous anger, and then there's anger. So there's, there's righteous anger, there's good anger, and there's, there's sinful anger. Uh, there's righteous anger. There's a way to be angry in the Bible that is good and right and holy. As you read the Bible, you'll find out that God gets angry. As you read the Gospels, we find out that Jesus gets angry. Uh, Paul in Ephesians 4 tells us Christians to be angry and not sin, that somehow there's a way we can be angry in right relationship with God and humanity and not sin. And then there's sinful anger. And more often as we read the scriptures, that's what it's talking about, because 99 times out of 100, if not 999 out of 1,000, our anger is sinful and not righteous. So what's, what's the difference? Uh, Ed Welch, he's got a book called, a little book about a big problem about anger. Uh, and it, I think how he puts it is really helpful. As we read the Gospels, we see a lot of different people get angry, including Jesus. And as you read the Gospels and you watch Jesus get angry, an interesting thing happens. Jesus does get angry, but he always gets angry about what's happening to other people. He gets angry when the Israelites are being cheated because they're not allowed to come worship because they've turned the temple into a marketplace to make money and not the worship of God. He gets mad about that. He turns tables. Jesus gets angry with the disciples when they're keeping the little children from coming to him. He's like, no, 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 let the kids come, stop. But he never gets angry about what happens to him. When he gets accused wrongly, when he gets beaten, when he gets flogged, when he gets crucified, he doesn't get angry about that. He never gets angry about what happens to himself. He only gets angry about what happens wrongly to other people. And I think that's instructive. What's the difference between righteous anger and sinful anger? Well, if we look at Jesus, I think a really good clue is that righteous anger is angry about the wrongs happening to other people. Sinful anger is angry about the wrong happening to me for a variety of reasons. Maybe you want to get angry. Maybe you want to get even. Maybe you want to fight back. Maybe you want to hurt them because they hurt. Like There's these things that rage up inside of us that are not characterized by love and kindness and mercy and grace. But there is times where we get angry because something's happening to someone else that is objectively morally wrong, and that's a good thing. 
But when we start getting angry about the things that are happening to us, we stop looking like Jesus. There's righteous anger and there's sinful anger. And we're going to talk about sinful anger this morning. So what does Jesus, the one person in the Bible that seems to have it figured out, say about anger? Well, simply, uh, Jesus says our anger is equivalent to murder. Just a pretty big claim, but like that's Jesus' argument. Our anger inside is equivalent to homicide on the outside. Verse 21, we read it already. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, and whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So Jesus says anger is equivalent to murder. Why? Why? Because Jesus says that anger is both internal and external. That anger is internal and external. And the same anger that results in murder is the same anger that results in an insult. That they're different outcomes, they're different fruits, but they're rooted in the same issue. See, Jesus brings up four actions here and says that they're all rooted in anger. He mentions murder, he mentions anger, which makes sense. He mentions insults, and then uh, you fool, which is a character shot. So murder, like the taking of another person's life. Well, yes, of course, Justin, like that's evil and awful and it's deserving of judgment. No one, uh, no one should have their life wrongfully, like no one should kill somebody. Like that's just objectively wrong. Like we can agree on that. But what about the anger that led to the murder? Like they didn't just wake up and decide to kill somebody. Like there is something raging on inside of them. Anger in Greek is the word orgitso. Uh, and orgitso has to do with brooding or simmering anger that's nurtured and not allowed to die. It's seen in holding a grudge. It's seen in that smoldering bitterness that you just like can't even stand to be in the same room with that person. You can't even stand it when that person's brought up in a conversation and they're not even there. It doesn't want reconciliation. Like, you don't want to get along with them. You don't want to forgive them. You just, you want them to hurry up and die, if we're being honest. And Jesus equates that inward anger with outward murder. Because anger is where it starts. Yes, one of them went to a very much farther down the road end. But they both started in the same place. Jesus talks about insulting a brother or calling him a fool. Uh, the word for insult in Greek is raka, and the word for fool is moros. Uh, raka is an insult to person, someone's intelligence. Like, they're stupid. Like, I can't believe they did that. Like, how dumb do they have to be to have done that? Like, don't they know? And, and moros is where we get the word moron, and it's about someone's character. It's not just about their intelligence. It's about who they are. That they didn't just do a dumb thing. Like, they're really just dumb people. Like, I can't believe they didn't, they're just not doing idiotic things. They really are an idiot. Like, I can't really believe that they're like that. And you begin not just degrade their actions, but degrade their humanity and who they are. That's what Jesus is getting at. A.B. Bruce probably preserves the major difference between the words when he writes, Raka expresses contempt for a man's head, you stupid. More, uh, or Moros, expresses contempt for his heart and his character. And I love how he puts this, you scoundrel. Sometimes commentators don't live in the real world. But his point's there. 
Uraka is about the things they think and maybe the things they do. But sometimes in our anger, we go beyond their thoughts and their words and their actions to who they really are. That they're doing dumb things really because they're a dumb person. That maybe they really are that stupid. And that's probably on the kinder side of the things we think and say sometimes. Angry thoughts and insulting words may never lead to the ultimate act of murder, yet Jesus calls and equates them to murder in God's sight. Why? Because they both start from the same place. Murder, insults, character shots, they all are rooted in anger. So before you justify yourself saying you don't have an anger problem, let's just take a moment and be real honest about the words of your mind and the thoughts of your mouth from this last week. Are are, are they all loving and kind and gracious? Or or are there moments where maybe your two-year-old didn't want to put on her jacket and it was 20 degrees outside and uh, you didn't kindly say, hey, baby girl, we need to put the jacket on because it's cold. And maybe it sounded more like, just put the jacket on. Like, why is this so hard every single morning? Or maybe you walked into a meeting and you, like, you can't, like, oh, you didn't bring the agenda again? That's okay. Like, really? Like, this is the 16th week in a row. You can't remember to send it out again. Like, oh, you didn't turn it in on it. You didn't get it in on time again. And that causing everyone in the organization to be late because of you. It's okay. We'll all stay late this week and make up for your incompetence. We love you. I think we all have an anger problem. And if you don't, let's talk about your driving. (laughs) Got him. One of the questions I I couldn't shake this week was why does Jesus start with anger? Like he's pretty clear and direct. Anger is incipient murder. Our anger manifests itself internally and externally. Anger's bad. We get that Jesus. But why start with anger? Like, if I was writing the Sermon on the Mount, I wouldn't have started there. I would have, like, I would have thought he would have jumped to prayer or fasting or not being anxious or, like, storing up treasures in heaven. Like, why does he start here? Well, as we're journeying through the Sermon on the Mount, he starts with the Beatitudes. And what those are, they're, they're, they're the character that Jesus wants to see formed inside of us as his people because it's, it's his character. Like, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Beatitudes. Like, that's why those things are there. They're not random. They're who Jesus is. And if it's his kingdom and he's the king, then he wants us to look at him and begin to look like him. And so that's what the Beatitudes are. They're Jesus' character distilled into, like, 10, 12 easy sayings that are really, really hard to, like, grasp and live out. But he wants something formed inside of us because what's inside of us comes out of us. And then from there, he moves on to talking about salt and light and fulfilling the law. And we kind of just jump past those things for a very purposeful reason. Salt and light in the uh, era of Jesus, they were living in an agrarian society, which meant they were farmers, and they had to grow food and then preserve it to eat. They didn't go down to Aldi and grab what was there. That stuff sometimes needs to be preserved anyways. But light was literally the sun. It caused plants to grow so that animals could eat the plants and we could eat the animals. I'm not a vegetarian. Um, And then salt was used to preserve the meat of the animals because they didn't have refrigerators if you didn't know that. And so what Jesus is saying is he talks about these characteristics of the people in his kingdom. He talks about the character of a Christian. And he says when when you begin to pursue that character... 
You'll become like salt and light in the world. You'll be a life-giving force like light, and you'll be a life-preserving force like salt. That when you begin to take on the character of King Jesus, you become a life-giving, life-preserving force and agent in your homes and neighborhoods and workplaces. And that, that's pretty amazing. And then he goes on to like, oh, and just before we jump in the rest of the sermon, don't think that I'm saying anything new. I came to fulfill what Moses wrote about, not just destroy it and start something new. That what you've been reading for, for centuries is what I'm about to talk about. You just stopped really short of where it was meant to go. You thought outward action was the same as inward heart change. And that's what he gets at over and over and over again. And we're like, okay, Jesus, I get that. Let's pursue your character. We become this life-giving and life-preserving force. And uh, you're just telling us what God's been trying to tell us for centuries, anger. Jesus, you came out of left field. And as I thought about it um, and read a lot of books, well, skimmed a lot of books, let's be honest. Let's not lie in church. I think what Jesus is doing is he starts with anger. And then he's going to move on to lust. And then he's going to move on to retaliation. He starts with what the character of Jesus formed inside of us doesn't look like before he moves on to what it does look like. And we see that happen all throughout the New Testament. Uh, As we begin to follow Jesus, he talks about putting on the new self or, or putting on and walking in the spirit of God. He talks about taking things off and putting things on. That Jesus, before he gets on to, this is how we're going to talk about praying. So we're talking about fasting. This is talking about what you're treasuring in your heart and what you're anxious about and what tomorrow holds. Before we talk about what I want for you, let's talk about what I think is probably killing your soul. Let's talk about the things that I need you to get rid of, that, that this character is going to go to war with inside of you before we talk about what I want to grow in you. And he starts with anger. Because I think anger is the first thing that has to go in our lives as we pursue the Beatitudes. If we're pursuing to be poor in spirit and merciful and hungering and thirsting for righteousness, if we're pursuing that kind of character in us, then I think the first thing that begins to go is anger. The first thing that the Beatitudes, this character of Jesus begins to war on inside of us is our anger, whether it's external or internal, whether it's actually killing someone or insulting them and cutting their character. And so Jesus starts there. And it's interesting, uh, what we find as we read Bibles, the first result of a disconnect from the Beatitudes is anger. In Genesis chapter 4, so Genesis 1 and 2, God makes the world. In Genesis 3, sin enters the world. Everything falls apart. Genesis 4, uh, you get the story of these two brothers named, named Cain and Abel. And what we read in Genesis 4 is this. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of his firstborn of his flock of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, against you. But you got to rule over it. Verse 8, and Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So the first relationship, uh, after sin has infiltrated the world, you've got older brother, younger brother. um, And anger results in one brother killing the other brother 
over what they dropped in the offering box. Which, like, growing up on that story, it's like, oh, yeah, Cain killed Abel. It's like, no, 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 no. One brother dropped it in the right box, and it got, and then the other brother dropped it in the left box, and one had more than the other, and the other went, no, I don't like that. Let me kill you. What? Like, my brothers literally punched me in the face uh, and chucked a crutch across the living room like a javelin at me, but we've never honestly thought about killing one another, and we've been real, real mad at one another. And the first brothers, in all of the story of humanity, one kills the other one because he was angry. The first thing that begins to well up in our souls when we disconnect from Jesus, I think the Bible's pointing out that that's anger. You want a barometer on how you're doing with Jesus? How's your anger? Is it growing? Is it lessening? Is it staying the same? Because I think what Jesus is getting at, and I think what Moses was getting at, is that when we're connected to Jesus and his character is being formed, formed in us, our anger is going to begin to die. And we're going to begin again to kill it. It doesn't just die on its own. But when we're disconnected from God and disconnected from Jesus, anger begins to well up inside of us and do what it wants with us. So what do we do about our anger? We know we have a problem. Uh, and I hope at this point it's probably a bigger problem than you thought it was. We know it's been a problem for literally every human ever. So what do we do? Five things. First, act quickly. Act quickly. Jesus uh, gives two examples in dealing with anger. One deals with a friend and one deals with an adversary. But in both scenarios, the individuals act Quickly, uh, in the first scenario is about worship. Jesus says, "So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something, your brother has something against you, not you against them, but them against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. So you came in the church. You remember that your friend has something against you. You walk out of those back doors. You go. You make that phone call. You take care of it. You come back in. Now it's going to be really awkward, but we're going to love you if you need to leave right now." Everybody close your eyes. Just kidding. In the second scenario, he's talking about being brought to court, a little bit more serious. And Jesus says in verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Leave and go. Come quickly. Jesus says we have to deal with our anger quickly. Like, don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait for it to blow up again. Don't wait uh, for, you know, just that next season we're dealing with. It's going to be a little bit easier. No. Like, deal with it now. And you act quickly regardless of whether you're in the right or in the wrong. Because in each scenario, one is not told he's wrong, but someone's got something against him. Uh, and the other one, he's clearly in the wrong because he's being brought to court. And you act quickly regardless of whether you're a friend or whether the person is a friend or an enemy. Like Jesus doesn't leave any room for us to be like, oh, I can be angry with that kind of person or in that kind of situation. Like, no, 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 you don't get to be angry with friends. You don't get to be angry with enemies. You don't get to just let anger dwell when you're in the right, or you don't get to an get anger. You don't get, you don't, you can't let anger dwell when you're in the wrong. Woo! There's no caveat that we just get to let anger simmer. That's the point. So you deal with it quickly. Second, ask yourself why. Like, why are you angry? 
What's driving your anger? What's actually behind the anger? Because if we're being honest, like it's not the person in traffic. It's not your kid not putting on their coat. It's typically not the thing that you're blowing up at. It's the thing behind the thing. So why are you angry? One pastor put it this way, you cannot defeat what you cannot define. Like, if you don't know why you're angry, like, you're just going to keep getting angry. Maybe ask someone you love, someone that you trust, that knows you, and you know that they want what's best for you. Because we can't always figure it out on our own. Like Proverbs 20 verse 5 says, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. That sometimes we need someone to help us see clearly what's going on inside of us. Sometimes there's things in our heart and our life that are deep and dark and hard for us to see, but others can see it clear as day. And so act quickly. Ask, why am I angry? Then third, uh, pursue the Beatitudes. If you want to change what's coming out of you, change what's going into you. If you want to, if you don't like the anger that you're seeing, start putting something new into you. Because anger can be fed by so many things. They call it a secondary emotion. That anger is not the first thing that arises, that it arises as a response to something else. But the Beatitudes can't feed anger. They're, they're diametrically opposed. And so if you're pursuing to be poor in spirit and a lover of mercy and, a, and, and you want to hunger and thirst for what's right and good, you're going to slowly and surely become less and less angry over time. So if you want to see a different out, start putting in a different in. Read them. Like they're like 12 verses. It takes less than a minute. Read them three times a day. Read them when you get up. Read them on your lunch break. Read them before you go to bed. It, it doesn't take 60 seconds. And I bet in a couple of weeks, you'll start memorizing it. And, and maybe then you start praying it over yourself. Like, like, Jesus, help me be poor in spirit. Help me be humble. Help me not be full of pride. Jesus, help me love mercy. Because I really, I like revenge and I like getting right and I like being right. But just help me love mercy. Help me hunger and thirst for, for like real righteousness, not just my righteousness. Help me bless those who curse me. Help me pray for those who persecute me. And all of a sudden, like, your anger is going to have a lot less fuel to feed on. And you're going to watch mercy and peace and love more and more, maybe bit by bit, be your response, not anger and rage. Humility and anger cannot coexist. It doesn't work. And that's part of the beauty of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus instructs us to be before he instructs us to do. Because that, like, that's Christianity. Jesus doesn't call us to do things for him. He doesn't need anything from us. He calls us to be. Like, come be with me. Come, and as you come be with me, you'll become these kind of people. He tells us the people he wants us to be before he ever tells us what he wants us to do. And so he starts with the Sermon on the Mount, and then he moves into what uh, commentators call the sixth antithesis. Uh, and then from there, he moves into what he wants for us. Because Jesus knows that from identity flows activity. That who we are will always lead to what we do. 
And so he's going to deal with the anger by dealing with the character. Fourth, choose to be quick to hear and slow to speak. And I say choose very intentionally because if you're like me, when, when I'm angry, I don't want to listen. I just want to be heard. But that's not what James' brother Jesus says. In James 1, verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I like to be quick to speak and slow to hear. And that results in a lot of anger. Quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. For or because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Be quick to hear and slow to listen. Hear, meaning understanding the information that's being sent your way, not just letting it pass through your ear canal and then out the other way. Not that that's actually physically possible, but that's the saying. Listen. Don't just prepare your rebuttal. Because you cannot choose to truly listen to someone's words and perspective and feelings and continue to be angry. Like, you can't choose to listen and be humble and let anger keep growing. They don't work together because listening requires humility. And so just maybe just suspend the belief that you're right for five minutes. And, and maybe just accept the possibility of the universe that you could be wrong. And listen, hear, and then hear some more, and then hear some more, and then you speak. Ask questions before you make accusations. How, how can I make this? And like, sincerely ask the question, like, how can I make this right? Okay, I, I hear you, like, what else did I do wrong? In, in, in your honest opinion, like, what... I, I think this led to that, but, but what do you think led to, to this moment? I'm really trying to figure this out. Can you help me understand what you think precipitated all of this? Act quickly. Ask why. Pursue the Beatitudes. Listen, then speak, and lastly, uh, think forward. AA uh, teaches their members to think through the drink. Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous teaches as part of their steps to think through the drink, to think where that drink is going to take them. Why? Because when you're looking at it, it tells you all the good things it's going to give you. And anger is the same way. But they teach them to think forward. Where is that drink going to take you? Like where is feeding this anger going to lead? Because the consequences, good or bad, are a really strong motivation for action or inaction. And, and I think that's part of why Jesus does what he does here. He lays out where that anger leads. Like, you think murder is the only thing that's leading to the judgment of God? No, 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 no. What's underneath murder is anger. What anger produces is insults and character shots and murder. And every single one of those comes from anger. And anger leads to judgment. 
Anger leads to the counsel of man. Anger leads to the hell of fire. Like you think homicide is what's going to get you there. No, 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 no. Let's, let's talk about where this emotion and this rage inside of you leads. And he shows them the reality of the future so that they can think forward. Think about where your anger takes you. Think about where it takes the people that are around you. And then imagine a world. Imagine a day in your house, at your workplace, where anger doesn't derail everything. Imagine the fight from this week where you said, no, I'm going to listen and not let my anger get the best of me. Anger is a difficult dragon to slay. And I found in my life when you cut its heads off, it feels like a few more grow back in its place. Like it doesn't just die. But as we chase the king, as we chase the character of the king found in the Beatitudes, you'll find two things to be true. One, you don't have to fight alone. Jesus has given us his spirit to help us make war on our anger. And as we walk by the spirit, Galatians 5 says we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. You don't have to fight alone. Like God gave you his spirit inside of you to empower you and to guide you, and he gave you us. So don't let your anger make you fight with us, and don't, make your, don't let your anger make you fight against us. Fight with us. Like, you don't have to go to, to battle on this alone. Like, we're all in the same fight. You're not alone, so stop fighting alone. And second, you'll see that your king's already come and fought for you and won the battle. Like, we can fight our anger because we know the war is already won. Like, we think there's this huge dragon that we've got a slay called anger, and the truth is it's already dead. Like, it's already been mortally wounded by Jesus. Every sin was nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. Yes, we're still fighting some things inside of us, but we're fighting the battles and the skirmishes after the decisive victory has already been won. So don't lose heart. He's already overcome it. You're just fighting the end of the war that's already been won. So press into his spirit, press into his people, and watch his character be formed in you. And as you look like him, you become like him. And as you become like him, you begin to live like him. His humility, his gentleness will become yours, and your anger will begin to fade into love and to peace. Jesus, we, we don't know how you did it. <laughs> I, I don't know how you lived a life of only good anger. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me. But it says you did, and I trust you. Jesus, there's, there was times this week that I didn't know how to fight what was coming up out of me, that I started this week and thought I didn't really have a problem. But by the grace of your spirit and your word, you open my eyes to say, no, you do. And God, I ask that you would just do the same for these people this morning. That you would continue to do that for these men and women this morning. And they would find the same grace 
that I found this week, they'd find the same grace that they've found before. That says, I know. I've seen it. I know it more deeply than you do. And I love you. And I forgive you. And let's go to war. Meet us with your grace. Meet us with your kindness. I ask that in Jesus' name.